Okay, it's good to see all of you here today. Um, we are continuing to uh, uh, pursue this theme, How to Neighbor, and so I want to welcome you to part three of the series. Week one, I talked about uh, racism uh, reconciled. Uh, week two, Craig talked to us uh, about orphans embraced, and so today I'm going to address the issue of empowering uh, the poor, and next week, uh, Craig is going to address relational poverty and how we can love the lonely. Now, I'm excited, quite honestly, to be a part of the New Life Church community, which cares so much about helping people in need. Do you personally want to help people? Specifically, what about people who are poor? Some of you have been poor, perhaps you are poor. Um, you've struggled with poverty at some point in your life. Others have family members or friends uh, who struggle with poverty. And of course, I, I, I really think that all of us want to help the poor. Poverty is actually relatively relative. And, and so I, I want you to consider some funny tweets um, now, I don't tweet, I don't fly either, um, but there are a lot of people who do, and so here are some that are related to our, what we're talking about today. Uh, one person tweeted, I'm so broke, my baloney has no first name. Now, you might have to be over 40 to appreciate that, although I think I saw, I think I saw this commercial within the last year, so maybe it's coming back. Um, I'm so poor, I can't even get a sugar daddy. All I can afford is a Splenda daddy. I'm so poor, I rub cologne from magazines on my shirt. When people say, oh, you smell good, what is that? I say, page five. I'm so broke, I go to KFC and lick other people's fingers after they eat. Okay, well, let me give you an idea how people look at poverty. But the reality is that there are many people, uh, even in our own backyards, who are struggling financially. Uh, they're in a place of deep need right now. So what do they do? How do they respond? Now, some of you have been to third world countries, and uh, even Ken and Anita are in a third world, not today, but uh, normally they're in a third world country. Uh, country, and you've seen poverty that is much different uh, from what we're talking about, uh, something that you might see down the street uh, or in a poor neighborhood. In, in these developing nations, you might see a one-room, unstable shack with six, seven, eight, or maybe even nine people living inside. These shacks may only be the size of some people's walk-in closets. Uh, they're made of cardboard or maybe scraps of metal uh, with maybe a sheet for a front door. There may be a bucket in the corner for a toilet. They don't have access to clean water, clean drinking water. Uh, they may have to travel several miles to a village well where they can get water to bathe and to drink. Now, while we might say that there's no 
food in the refrigerator, they would never say that. They're hoping that a bag of flour and some rice will get them through the week because life for them is very difficult. Whether it's poverty like that or poverty of someone who's unemployed or underemployed living down the street from us, all poverty is real. Now today, I want us to address how we can empower the needy in a way that would honor Jesus. Now Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us a parable of what it would be like when he returns at the second coming. And so essentially, he said he would separate those who are his from those who are not his. And thus the verse that we read at the beginning of the service, Matthew 25, 40, which says, And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it uh, to me. Now, Jesus had gone through this list of things, and he said, you know, when he was hungry, they gave him something to eat. When he was thirsty, they gave him uh, something to drink. When he was homeless, they gave him a place to stay. When he was sick or in prison, they came and visited him. They were astonished. Like, when did we see that? Okay, and so both the people who had done it and the people who had not done it were astonished because they never remembered uh, those incidences. Uh, but Jesus' message is that whenever we use what we have to empower someone who doesn't have something they need, that we are, in essence, uh, ministering to and blessing Jesus. Now, can you imagine that? Uh, that is special. Uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 19, 17, he said, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18, the apostle John wrote, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. We are quick to say, somebody ought to do something. And we're good at talking about it. But God has called us, the church, to be the hope of the world. That's why he's given us an abundance of resources into our hands. And I might offend people, but you don't have all the resources that you do to buy new cars, houses, boats, four-wheelers, snowmobiles, uh, computers, gaming consoles, and every other sporting good, recreational equipment or technology that you can think of. I mean, we're talking here that people can't eat while we make ourselves out to be our own little selfish pigs. God is going to judge us on our stewardship of the resources he has entrusted to our management. Let us love people out of poverty. But how do we do this? Now, I know every single one of you when exposed to deep needs, 
It moves you. It makes you ache. You care about these people. You want to do something, but what and how? Now, we need to get it right. God is not punishing the poor. Understand that. He is testing us. So what is poverty? Well, in order to get it right, we need to start by building a foundation and truly getting our minds around what poverty is. Now, I highly recommend that you read a book. It is titled, When Helping Hurts. There should be, yeah. Um, it was written by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. Interestingly, the subtitle to this book is How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. Now, you know, five weeks ago when I wrote this sermon, didn't know Ken was going to be with us, um, Ken and Anita, but Ken actually recommended this book to me a long time ago, and I've read it and really benefited from it. And so I recommend it to you because it will empower you uh, with the knowledge to make a difference in a way that truly lifts people up. You can find it at Christian Book Distributors on the Internet uh, or Amazon. We don't have much in the way of Christian bookstores around here, but you go to Hagerstown or a city nearby that has a good Christian bookstore, you can find it on the shelf. Now, most Americans define poverty as the lack of something material. Now, remember that, because that's not the way all the world looks at it. They don't make enough money. They have inadequate housing. They don't have access to clean water. They don't have a good, you know, good health care. And the list goes on and on. While your 14-year-old may say, we're so poor I can't afford an iPhone. Okay, so it's lacking something. Uh, or you may say, I have to drive a car without heated seats. Oh, uh, you know, if you got up early like I did this morning, came in here before 7 o'clock, heated seat would have felt pretty good this morning, as cool as it was. But anyway, um, the truly poor, listen to this, define poverty as a mindset. Uh, 60,000 poor people were surveyed in low-income countries. So this is a this is a global um, this is a global study, and this is how the poor people define poverty. They said it is the way people, and they're talking about themselves, think and feel. They said it is a deep sense of shame. And listen to the reason they feel ashamed that they can't do more with what they have. We would be thinking, we need more. They're ashamed that they can't do more with what they have. And so they have an ongoing feeling of worthlessness. They use the word fear over and over again. They consistently mention the feeling of humiliation and hopelessness. To them, it's a sense of being trapped. It's not like, like they wish they had a car with a backup camera so that they could feel safer. They don't know how to get out of their situation, out of their circumstance, 
or their predicament. They don't have access to education or any kind of transportation, and so they don't have any hope. They just want to try to feed their family today. Now, when my wife goes to the grocery store, she's shopping for groceries for at least a week, sometimes two weeks or more. You know, so we're focused down the pike, but they're just concerned about today. It's a mindset more than it's a lack of something material. They are trying to exist while we are focused on something or some things else that we would like to have, and if we can't have it, we're poor. We need to help turn their mindset from a sense of hopelessness to a hope that God has given them what they need in order to get out of this situation that they are currently in. We need to understand their plight and empower those who are struggling, not just giving them what they need to get through the day, but help them to change the way they think from hopelessness to hope. We need to learn to give in a way that helps, never in a way that hurts. A church sent a short-term mission team to a third world country with hundreds of cool t-shirts to pass out to the children in the villages. And so on day three, they discovered that there were three women in the village who actually made shirts to sell, to support their family. Well, the mission team actually undermined their business in an effort to do good. Okay, certainly their intention was good, but it was not thought through. They would have been better off to have sent the money to the mission Uh, to missionaries, and had people in the community produce the shirts. Now, I've got to tell you, that's why we don't participate in uh, the Shoebox Christmas program. I know that's a big program. There are a lot of churches, even in our community, uh, that do that. Uh, But my buddy, Ken Hoke, and once again, five weeks ago, I didn't know he was going to be here, Uh, but he's, I keep referring to him in my sermon today because he gives me all these words of wisdom, Uh, but he brought to my attention that by sending stuff, purchasing stuff to fill these shoeboxes and sending it across the seas to other countries, uh, we, we are promoting our economy. You know, we're spending the money in our economy and we're sending it to them and we're robbing the people in that economy. It's something that they could have, that they could have used, that could have helped uh, to support their families. Um, and, and on top of that, you talk about shipping all of this stuff to third world countries, it's like pouring money down a rat hole. I mean, it, go, it goes nowhere. It doesn't accomplish, doesn't accomplish anything. And so we would be better off to send the money to the local missionaries and have them purchase uh, the materials in their economy, giving local businesses uh, the the business and helping them to support their families. A 15-year-old boy wanted to purchase the $1,000 car by the time he turned 16. That's noble. You know, he's looking to the future. Um, 
he worked and worked to save his money. And his dad read this really good book uh, that he felt would help his son's overall outlook on life. So he said to his son, I'll give you $100. That's 10% of the amount of money he was trying to raise. $100 uh, toward your car. If you read this book, write a report on it, and then discuss it with me. And his son said, I don't think so. It kind of jarred his father, you know, caught him off guard. He said, I'll read the book, but I don't want your $100. His dad didn't get it. So he asked the boy, the boy said, Dad, if I'm going to read a book that's going to help me to be better in life, I want to get better, but I don't want to get paid for it. I thought that was pretty mature. Okay, so we need to give people a hand up and not a hand out. Now, I really like CORE. We've done a lot through CORE. They go into Haiti, and they set up people in chicken, with chicken farms. So we pay for a chicken farm, and they go in and set up a farmer. Of course, he goes through training first, and uh, he's given chickens. He raises them to maturity. Uh, they're sold, slaughtered on the market, and he gets paid for them. He has money to support his family. He has money to pay back his loan on the chicken farm. And so after... after uh, several crops of chicken, so to speak. Uh, he's able, uh, he, he's paid off his loan, he's able to get another loan, set up uh, another chicken coop and uh, increase his business. And these guys have like a 98% payback. So, you know, they're really serious about this thing. And uh, I think it's a great program. It's a hand up and not a hand out. You know, if you give somebody a dollar, and they spend the dollar that you gave them, then what? They need another dollar. I mean, you gave them one, they spent it, they need another one. They're out. And so that's a handout. So it's only temporary benefit uh, to these people. And, and I also like BigDent.org, and you've got a card uh, in your bulletin this morning that, that kind of talks about their program. They're not operating that in Ken and Anita's area yet, uh, but eventually it will come. It's a microfinance program where you can, um, they've got all these people uh, on the bigdent.org website and the business that, they're, that they want to start. And so they, they give them small loans to begin their business. They pay it back over a period of time. Once again, they've got like a 98% payback on these loans People go through training before they get a loan and are taught to be responsible and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, so it helps them start a business so they can support their family. It's been a couple years ago. I was on their site. I, I love the site. I love to see what people are trying to do to help themselves. And, and I saw this guy's, I saw this guy's uh, uh, his dream was he wanted to uh, get equipment to start a barber shop but he didn't, it wasn't that he wanted to be a barber, he wanted to be a preacher, but he was going to support himself uh, by cutting hair. And Gina doesn't know this, but she's over here. I, I underwrote his whole thing because I said, okay, here's a guy, you know, he wants to be a preacher of the word, he wants to spread the good news, and so, you know, I'm going to see 
I'm going to see that he's able, he's able to do that. So their, their website's on your uh, outline as well. In the scheme of things, a handout is actually an insult. The family provider is, is made to feel broken and humiliated in front of the kids and in front of the spouse because he or she was not able to provide for the family. Now, the root of all poverty is brokenness. And that's more than just material poverty. Americans' first impression going to a third world country, and several years ago we took a group to Haiti, and we saw this, is we look at them, they don't have anything. Now, again, that's in line with our definition of poverty. Uh, They don't have anything. Then when you mix with the people, you notice that they really love each other. And, And they're happy. And they have this wonderful sense of community. And you you think, how, how could they be like this when they don't have anything? Um, yeah, most of us Americans don't truly have that. Uh, truth is, we don't even know our neighbors. All poverty starts with a broken relationship with God. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, creation, in a sense, was broken and tainted by sin. Therefore, Some people are without today because of the brokenness of sin. Okay, they take what resources they have, uh, they they spend it indiscreetly, and, uh, you know, people develop addiction habits and things like that. The money's gone, and they're without. They're in a a state of, of poverty, and that all is related to the brokenness of sin. Poverty can also be the result of a brokenness with self. And you've run into people, I've got low self-esteem. I don't feel I have what it takes. I don't recognize that I'm born in the image of God and that I have access to his power within me. I don't feel like I have what it takes to better myself or to better my family. Therefore, I'm hopeless in all that I can do. Then third, their broken relationships uh, can also result in poverty. Now, if you, you have a special need in your life, but you're afraid, you're too ashamed to ask for help, I, on the other hand, might be in a position where uh, I could meet that need, but I'm too self-absorbed. In my own lifestyle, you know, it's getting the second house, getting the second car, getting the boat, you know, the cabin on the lake, it goes on and on. We could actually serve one another, but we don't because there's a break in our relationship. We don't know each other. We don't know the needs of each other. If you are wallowing in affluence, you have broken relationships. This is a warning. You have broken relationships, and you don't even know it. Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 8 and 19, was in the temple reading uh, from the scroll of Isaiah. And in verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, in verse 21, he makes it known to his audience. He said, then he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this the scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Okay? The point is this. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus sets us free. You and I are called to empower the poor. Now, how do we live this out? How do we do this? What do we do when there's a guy on the street and he needs money? What do we do when we come in contact with a homeless person? What do you do when someone in your small group loses their job? What do you do when you recognize there's a global need for X number of thousands of dollars where we could get clean drinking water to a community? Or for a few cents, we could buy uh, some mosquito nets or vaccines what do you do when you're overwhelmed with various needs? We need to recognize that we are called to serve others, not save others. It's both insulting and dangerous to think that we are, we are someone's answer. We are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. We are servants. Jesus is the power. We are the conduit of Jesus' power. Jesus saves. Now, there are two ways in which Jesus wants us to serve. First is by providing relief. We give immediate, temporary assistance during and after a crisis. So, a tornado wipes out a neighborhood. A hurricane hits the city, and I wrote this before even the hurricane in Texas, but, you know, we've got Texas. Now Florida is currently being devastated uh, by a hurricane, and it's going to move on up uh, the East Coast. Um, or, you know, an earthquake uh, demolishes a village. Someone loses their job. A relative has stage four Cancer, a neighbor is killed in a car wreck, a house burns down in the community. All are situations for immediate, temporary relief assistance because each of these scenarios is a crisis. Now, the second way that Jesus wants us to serve is restoration. Now, restoration is a long-term relationship designed to rebuild wholeness. When the tornado, hurricane, earthquake hits, you know, there's a lot of, of news, there's a lot of attention for a week, then the world moves on, but thousands of people are trying to rebuild their lives. Now, the church stays when the news goes on to report something else. People need to rebuild their lives. When a house or the city needs to be rebuilt, we're talking long-term restoration. That's why we support IDES 
And we encourage you to get on board and do the same uh, because they assist in these situations going beyond when the news media shuts, shuts down. So the church stays when the news goes on to report something else because people need to have their lives rebuilt. Now, essentially, this is what the Good Samaritan did. He rescued the beaten Jew, uh, the Jewish man, offering relief and restoration. He met his immediate needs, but then he took him to an inn, stayed with him for a number of days, but then left him there under the care of the intaker, paying uh, for the needs that the man would have. So he, he not only addressed his injuries, but he saw to the rebuilding of the man's life. And when it comes to new life, we want to be responsible in our local and global giving for relief and restoration. We want to get the best return from our dollars invested to make a difference. All organizations that we give to uh, empower people to get better rather than just giving them a handout. Remember, we are called to serve others. Jesus saves, we serve, and we want to help without hurting. We are called to relate with people and not to rescue people. This may be the most important thing for many of you to learn from this message. People who are struggling are not projects you help. They are people you love. A mega church took on a rundown apartment complex. They wanted to change the world for the residents. They took tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of their people, including children, put on their Christian music, while they were working, and made the apartments just like they would have wanted theirs to be. They installed a playground, landscaped the entire area, painted all the rooms, colors that they liked, an extreme apartment complex makeover. A little different from what you see on TV. Their mistake was they didn't get to know the residents. They didn't really talk to anybody before they went in and started making all these changes. They never asked, what would help your life get better? What do you need? Uh, they may have heard from a 25-year-old single guy, if I could just learn to read, I might be able to get a better job so that I could provide for myself and future family. Maybe a guy would have said, if I could just get off meth, it would make a huge difference in my life. A young mom may have said, if I could just get some form of transportation so I could get a job that pays more than minimum wage, I could support my children. We should say, how can we help you achieve that? How can we help you build on what you have? Now, the end story of the apartment complex is not a good one. Uh, in a short period of time, it was run down and was just as much in a state of disrepair as before the church went in um, because, you know, they decorated the rooms and everything the way they would have liked them, and, and they, they should have let the people go in and paint their own rooms 
uh, in their apartment and empowered them rather than doing things for them. So we should never, ever do for others what they can do for themselves. That's a major mistake. To do so is an insult to their intelligence or abilities. It strikes at their dignity and their personal value. We need to love people, not make them projects so that we can feel better about ourselves. We're called to serve others, not save others. We're called to relate with people, not rescue people. We are called to reach out and never reach down. We reach out because we care. Reaching down would mean that we're better than others. We're higher, you're lower, so we're reaching down. You see, reaching out is essentially saying, I'm poor also. I struggle too. I'm not the hero. I don't have all the answers. I'm reaching out simply because I love you and because I care about you as a person. Brene Brown, I have a picture of her. There she is. She's a researcher, author. She, here's what she says. She says, we've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help. The truth is, we are both. We offer help and we need help because we are poor too. Bill, who was about 45 years old, was on his deathbed. He asked his pastor friend if he would take care of his family. Now, that's a, that's a huge request. Think about it. To which the pastor agreed. His wife, Cheryl, became a single mother with five kids. People from the church surrounded her and became her loving support community. The pastor helped her with her finances. From a small life insurance policy, he helped her secure an inexpensive, affordable home, paid for it in cash. He took the rest of the money and helped her invest it in a place that would give her income to help her live very modestly. When most people probably couldn't do it, the pastor set it up in such a way where she could. He continued to help her with financial decisions. Fifteen years later, he he was still advising her. She was poor and needed what he had, his expertise. The pastor and his wife were overwhelmed with six little kids. And, you know, they never had six little kids before. And so they didn't know how to handle that, so they needed Cheryl's help. She had raised five. Cheryl became their number one mentor. Now you see, they are poor and in need of what Cheryl had. And so in this way, with strong relationship, we can help one another. Let's pray. Father, make us the salt and light of the world, shining the light of Jesus, meeting both physical and spiritual needs, while doing it all in Jesus' name, who met our needs. Help us to 
share him in a very practical way that people would say yes to him. And you would meet their needs, helping them to step out of poverty, empowered to step into their divine potential, making a difference in the world. Use us in your process of empowering the poor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.